0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. What's going on, everybody?
1: This is episode 246. We're recording this episode live on May 19th, 2022. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Good evening, Nick, and hello from the UK. Hello from the UK to me, I guess, because you're in the UK and I'm here. Hello from the US. Uh, (laughs) We got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about VR researchers and how they have found a way to potentially simulate the feel of uh, things on your lips. And later we're going to talk about, answer some questions from the community really, about lucrative fields in UX or human factors. We're also going to be talking about your ideal work environment and applying to UX research jobs at High profile companies, well-known companies, big tech companies. We'll say that. But first day, we got some programming notes for you all or a community update. Uh, Just over the next couple of weeks, I wanted to let everybody know what the plan is. Next week, uh, Human Factors Cast is going to have some Ergonomics and Human Factors conference coverage uh, that, you know, Barry was gracious enough with his time to sit down with me to talk about EHF. We also have some, uh, I guess, clips from folks who went to the uh, event and are, you know, those will be kind of stitched in. So uh, do want to mention, though, our patrons are getting the full interviews with those folks that went to the conference? Barry was nice enough to share those with our patrons as uh, kind of added value. So that's next week. Following that, we're going to be off on the 2nd of June and then on the 9th of June, we'll be back. So really will be gone for two weeks, but you'll only see us gone for
2: one week. That's what it comes down to. Barry, I got to know what's going on over at 1202. Well, as you just mentioned, I finally got out of this hiatus of not putting any content out. I've finally learned how to put uh, video content together in 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 a sort of meaningful way. And so on Monday, the Ergonomics conference will um, our coverage will drop where we've been talking to um, five, six different different people who went and were part of the organization. And as you quite rightly said, the the full interviews from from each one of them um, interviews will uh, the patrons will get, but but will this 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 will drop on on Monday, and I'm quite excited um, because because that's coming up. But we've also got another interview that's happening tomorrow, um, one that we've we've been teasing about for a while, and I'm not going to mention exactly who it is just in case it all falls through again like it did last time. But I'm really excited to be able to get some of these um, in the canon. Everybody who spoke to me uh, for ehf um coverage which is obviously a really short interview compared to what i usually do they promise to do full interviews as well so i'm quite looking forward to, to them getting underway yeah so wait 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 you're telling me
1: that you have ehf coverage and we have ehf coverage how are we making sure that there's no overlap barry it's almost like we made this a collaborative synergistic effort
2: they're very big words for saying we actually spoke to each other,
1: aren't they? Yeah, we talked to each other and made sure that there was no overlap. Okay, yep, 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 that's it. All right, hey, well we're gonna get into this uh, this part of the show that we like to call human factors news. That's right. This is where we break down all things human factors. You all pick the news stories. We didn't pick
2: it this one this week. I don't know. Barry, what is the story this week? So the story this week that you kind of nudge people towards, rather than some of the other ones, uh, was VR researchers have basically figured out how to simulate the feel of kisses. So a modified VR headset can create the sensation of touch, either on a user's lips or even inside their mouths. Researchers from the Carnegie Mellon University Future Interfaces Group have modified an off-the-shelf virtual reality headset so that it recreates a sensation of touch in and around a user's mouth finally fulfilling virtual reality's inevitable one true purpose. We are generally used to obviously handle controllers that vibrate and most consumer-ready virtual reality devices ignore senses like taste, like smell and touch and focus on visuals and sound, assuming because it's kind of the the easiest thing to do at the moment. It's enough to make virtual reality experiences far more compelling than they were decades ago, but not really enough to truly fool, fool the brain into thinking that what your eyes are seeing is, Possibly a real life experience that you're fully immersed in it. You might not be able to reach out and feel realistic fur on a virtual dog just yet, but experience the sensation of drinking water from a virtual drinking fountain could be just around the corner, in addition to other experiences don't, that presumably don't require that much imagination. The researchers upgraded what appears to be a Quest 2 headset with an array of ultrasonic transducers. They're all focused on the user's mouth. And it works without the need for additional resources or any other hardware set up around the wearer. They create the feeling of touch on the user's lips, teeth, and even their tongue while the mouth is open. The transducers can do more than just simulate a gentle touch. By pulsing them in specific patterns, they recreate the feeling of an object sliding or swapping across the lips. Or persistent vibrations such as the continuous splashing of water when leaning down to sip from a virtual drinking fountain. So, Nick, can you see the potential use, uses of adding lip haptics to to your quest? Yeah, lip
1: control devices, clearly. Uh, look,
2: I'll be honest, I totally missed the
1: in-the-mouth part when, when, when re-skimming this story. Uh, and so I kind of lost it back here. Anyway, the look, The I think what was going on here is the authors were very careful to word this as specific patterns across the lips, like splashing water. I mean, we all know what they really mean here and sort of what the application of this is. With that being said, teledeldonics is one of my favorite words. This is that. Um, Very good. And I, I do love uh, VR stuff and I love the way in the different ways in which we try to mask our senses and, I don't know, bolt on added functionality within VR to mask those certain senses with something like the lips. Those are a very sensitive body part. And so there's going to be perhaps more uh, care and attention that needs to be paid to the device actually stimulating the lips in these patterns to emulate real world. Uh, situations. Barry, I am curious what your initial sort of thoughts on this article are.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, my initial thought was it well if we start with the lips then clearly where do you stop? Um <laughs> we've got to get a bit more grown up about this I think. Um it is a really interesting technology and and you know from a science and technology perspective it's clearly got a lot of application. Um and the, you know and we, I think we'll probably talk about how you know the, this is clearly just a start of doing doing um doing more things but isn't it weird how the application of all of these sort of things turned to sex-based applications first? You know, that's yeah. that's where we like with things like this. It's automatically gone, not because of the um, the amazing thing technology thing that they're doing, but it's how it can be used um, in that way. I just find that um, that the child in me finds that very very amusing. Yeah, so. I don't know. It,
1: I mean, sex sells, right? And so when you think about sort of how can we exploit these new technologies to uh, sort of Appeal to people. I think. I think that's that's sort of the, the next logical step, right? Uh, let's let's break this down. I think you know we tried something last week on the show where we kind of talked about it from a variety of different, uh, uh, I guess, slices of human factors, whether that's like domain areas or you know traditionally like the technical groups. But I think we have a good way to go forward. Let's talk about the people behind this. And I think, you know, this is more of a discussion, Barry. Who are the types of people
2: that might use this type of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we sort of get into this, isn't it? And it's... <sighs> Without, I, I guess, how? where do we want to keep the, the rating of the, of this podcast? But it is, you know, it's really oh, good. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. For that theme. So there's clearly um, some obvious application that we're going to allude to in a very childish manner all the way through this podcast. But it's that if we can make the make the leap from not just talking about lips, but assuming that it's going to go further, that you're going to get that whole, that haptic immersive capability is is pretty much getting there. And so there is that broader application. I mean, re- if you've seen Ready Player One, this is kind of us getting really down that line. There's always been a lot of criticism um with um VR and, and AI to a certain extent that um that you're you're only fooling some of the senses. And this takes us that one step further. So if there's anybody who's gonna be involved in, you know, working in immersive environments, I mean the 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 metaverse is now such a thing but then so a second life um this sort of thing would have been equally applicable within sort of like that second life anything where you're trying to get that full immersion in there so it could be um you know we we talked during in episode 240 around artificial, artificial intelligence providing companionship is this just the next step of interacting with that and cuz that that's what led me down to down to that thinking of are we talking about people interacting with people are we talking about people interacting with artificial intelligence or just bots you know they don't necessarily have to be fully artificially intelligent so are you talking about you is it a true human machine interaction or is it a human machine human interaction uh which i thought was um interesting. because you, you you could use it we have these um things where you know if you're away from your partner for a long time so you're working away or you may be posted away or you're doing the sort of job, maybe working on like um, all platforms or something that is really remote, like working out on chips, then will this actually allow connectivity between you, know, you and your loved ones and, and things that like intimacy. that? Intimacy, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the even if just like at the slightly less uh, blue end of the skill, kissing your partner goodnight good night before you go to bed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, what would that do to repair some of them relationships? I think it'd be quite interesting. Or like
1: even even being able to like virtually kiss my son's forehead as I'm out at a business trip or something like that. That'd be awesome. I would love that. Uh, you know, I think there's there's a lot to be said for the people that would use this, and there's obviously the applications that we keep alluding to, but there's a lot of practical ones as well. Um and and you know, that that kissing your loved ones goodnight is is one of those examples. But I think there's also sort of um, you know, we historically on the show have sort of shied away from talking about VR games and, and gaming just in general because it's it's kind of a – it's an easy fit, VR and games. But there's this whole immersive storytelling aspect, right, that we can sort of think about with, um, with this type of technology. If there were stories built around falling in love with, like you said, a digital uh, avatar – or sorry, not avatar, a digital agent, um, then, you know, you'd have this – whole other interaction that opens up a whole swath of societal issues, really. I mean, or not not societal issues, I should say, societal questions that need to be answered about, you know, fidelity and uh, all that stuff. So, so, I mean, think about, you know, from a gaming perspective, you're like falling in love with an NPC or something along those lines, and you're able to actually kiss them. That might be one way. You have virtual books in here. Are you thinking something similar for that?
2: yeah I would sort of as a um, I, I love reading books it's you know it's, it, it is my sort of guilty pleasure that I don't get enough time to do um and there was the idea that um I don't know if you ever used to use them but you get the the book that start that starts off where you read a bit and then you can make a decision about where you go and if you chose one decision you turned to page 342 if you made another decision you turned to page 463 for example and you you can have that sort of the 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 adventure side of things so could we be do could we this actually um take us down that route so it's not a game as in a game but it's an adventure it's a journey sure. um and so would this actually allow you to um you know go on one of them journeys um in in a virtual way so that you've got that immersive storytelling element that you've got a certain amount of interaction over but it's not a game it's 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 that sort of thing and it would do it's all about the immersion um which this would, would this technology would sort of send you there
1: yeah, it's almost like passive storytelling,
2: right? So there's there's
1: active storytelling, which is more like video games where you are directing the uh, the sort of character that you are playing into certain actions, right? i e. kissing an NPC. The virtual books um, and other applications I can think of as sort of this passive storytelling with you as a passive participant watching what's going on around you. Yeah. That might be a sense that you might need in some specific application areas. Just saying. We're going to skirt it all night, folks. All right.
2: It's going to be a long evening.
1: <laughs> all right. Enough with the puns. Let's go. Uh, next, next one. Next point here, Barry. You want to talk about how yeah. it might evolve?
2: Yeah, it's going to be because, again, this is going to be another interesting piece, isn't it? Because the if you've got this sort of, um, this sort of technology, um, and I think it probably fits into some of others as well, but the as you get older, the technology needs to be able to, I don't know, age with you? Um, because you don't interact with technology the same way as as you get older, so um as we get older, it's going to have to evolve with us. But if the way I would use this technology would be very different to the way our children would use the technology would be very different from the way that my parents would use the technology um so is there something there about having to work out how the different applications how basically how that use case would change with with each individual persona? um and would it would it be vastly different or is is my assumption just wrong actually the way that we would use it is probably just very similar um you know it's just i guess there's just like intensities and things that, that would change but i don't know i think there's there's something there around evolving use cases
1: yeah i think i think you're right there's there's different people that are going to use this for different reasons i myself would use it for the like kiss my family good night uh remotely right the um the other, I guess this is almost a, a concern, um especially when we consider children being online mm-hmm. in these really scary environments. Um, what happens if there's a sexual predator online uh, that is sort of manipulating these senses in some way, shape, or form? That is a serious societal question, something that we need to think about. And how do we build in protections for our children and other vulnerable populations that may not have the same judgment, the same level of judgment or the same... um, I guess, awareness of what could be on the other end of this thing and, and sort of the, the tactics that are being used. That's a that's a huge question and something that is um, awful to think
2: about, but it's something that we do need to think about in terms of protecting our children. It is true. And I don't, I don't necessarily think we need to restrict it to children because, I mean, how much do we hear about nowadays about people being taken in online by um, you know phishing emails, um, spoof uh, addresses, all that sort of stuff? This is just that one sort of step away, so um, there is an element around that that I think that we um, that we need to think about. So, should we just dive into look? You know, talking about the, the organizational and social issues that uh, that this could uh, that this could evolve.
1: Yeah, well, I think you know we're, we're starting to open up that door of you know talking about who might be affected by this. That whole deception piece of who's on the other side of it, right? And this is mm-hmm. a this is a larger issue with uh virtual spaces, virtual environments, avatars, agents, all this stuff. How do you know if who you're talking to is who you're talking to? Does it matter? All these questions, right? And so we're starting to peel open this social societal question. So let's talk about it, right? So like I don't know. I think the uh the biggest thing for me is I, I already kind of talked about it, but the the idea of you don't know who is on the other end of this thing. Um most of the time, or I wouldn't. I shouldn't say most of the time, but you. It's possible that you don't know who's at the other end of this thing, what their goals are, what their, um, you know, I. I don't know. It, there's a lot to think about here. <laughs> Do you want to talk about anything specific here?
2: Well, I think for me, I there's a, a worry be going on at the back of my mind about the more we rely on um, technology technology to provide that sort of relationship mechanism are we just going to lose the ability for physical relationships because actually having a relationship online is just easier so we go back to that you know the the uh, the previous episode we did where we talked about an ai companionship um and we we both had a um a very brief go at downloading that um that avatar based thing very and, short affair yeah well no but you you know it was one of them things that what um, I sort of read up a bit more about some other people who'd had sort of relationships with them. And there was it was really interesting that the more people who got involved with them that the less they wanted it they were less they were bothered about being interacting um uh, with real people because that you had this avatar, this um this AI based mechanism that was um providing all the fulfillment all the fulfillment you needed in terms of they were never gonna argue with you, they were never gonna give you any bad words or anything like that. You, it was just all a positive reaffirming. Stuff and There was some other negative things happening around that. But when you combine that with this type, are we then just stepping away even further um, from those people who really probably do need physical, real relationships, as we would call them? Are we stepping away from them? Is it just another reason for the um, for them not to come out of um, seclusion? So that's a bit of a negative view, but there is a flip side to that, I think. And we sort of hit, uh, touched upon it already around will you actually keep relationships alive that wouldn't necessarily survive um over long distance and things like that so as you you've quite rightly said you know if you if you're going away on um you know, going away on, on 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 business or on holiday or, or something like that be, being apart from the family being able to kiss the children good night um being able to kiss your partner good night um you know will, will that provide a um an element of that which which, you know, that would be a, a really positive step, wouldn't it? That would be a really, nice, really decent step forward.
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost connecting us in some of those ways in which we can't connect uh, physically, right? And, you know, this goes for um, other applications outside of this technology here, right? I know there's others that have been sort of working on technology that allows for the ability to hug others virtually. Mm-hmm right through like a inflatable pillow think baymax from big hero six right so so there's other technologies being developed that will get at some of those other senses at some of those other experiences and i think that desire to explore these technologies really does stem from this world in which is very different from the way in which we evolved and when we evolved right we kind of think about these close-knit familial society structures where you have it takes a village to raise a child, and that's true, right? Your village is your family. and you have this really close intimate connection with them. In today's society, in today's society, uh, we have sort of this interesting mix of people emigrating from certain locations because of cost of living because of opportunities, because of one thing or another, and we don't have that close-knit societal structure that we once had as we were evolving. And so this is, to me, this is a way to patch that. If I could, Mm -hmm. you know, hug hug my mom and dad, uh, you know, virtually um, through, you know, the other technology that I'm talking about here, that brings me a little bit closer to them, but without the physical distance. I, I don't know. There's just a
2: lot to think about here, right? Well, there is because there's another point that um, that you made, and in further down, which I've just stolen and brought up here. It, one of the things that, that really brought out in in COVID was the amount of people who went into hospital, and the last thing that they thought that they were going to see before they were put into a medical coma, or unfortunately before before they they lost their lives, they had no the you couldn't go into hospital and be with them. Because of the obviously obvious infection risk, so the best that they could do was actually try and hold up a um, an iPad or you know a tablet um, for you to have a video call with them. I mean, would this have been um, something just a bit more to allow you to you know kiss your loved one that that the last that one last time, or just to give them a hug of reassurance um, be, before they get um, going to what what must have been really scary? Um and a you know really horrible experience, so this in terms of that type of thing would have been um you know really really empowering i think um, right. Or really right i i I do want to focus on sort of
1: the the bringing people together aspect of it because I feel like we really i don't want to say exhausted the conversation, but we really did we were thorough in the episode that we did on living our lives in the metaverse we kind of touched on a lot of these similar topics about well, what does it mean to lose these physical relationships? What does it mean to do, you know, how do we have bathroom breaks and all that stuff? Go listen to that episode if you want more of that discussion. But yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that we need to consider from society. And again, a lot of these sort of echo that conversation. So go listen to that if if you want to hear more of that. I think we should jump into, we have training here. uh, And this is, this is interesting because when you think about this technology, you don't necessarily think about training. How do you train to, kiss or how do you train to use the this uh device to feel something on your lips or in your mouth um you mentioned calibration here but yeah beyond that there's probably it's probably an
2: intuitive experience well one would like to think i mean the way that we develop things now you know your phone your whatever we're using you generally don't have a don't don't use the um the book in fact, you don't get a book anymore. Um, you know the the idea that he, whatever you have, it should be intuitive. You should be able to pick it up and, and use it straight away. But if you're going to, I mean, obviously with the one that we've seen, and if you go and look on the YouTube, it is it bolts onto uh, what we believe is the is is the Quest, and it ju- it just works. But it's I'm I'm assuming it's going to need a level of calibration um because you know people have different different face shapes they have different face colors they have different um you know pigmentation augmenta- you know that that what their what their lips look like um, all that sort of stuff so there's going to be an element of that which is going to need to be very easy to use so when you, for anybody who's used a, a Quest before, when you put it on for the first time, it does lead you through a calibration process. Um, and actually, I think it does it does it relatively well. So what more are we going to need to be able to use um, use this type of system? And as it gets more expansive, so if we're looking at it in terms of, you know, maybe um, gloves, if you're looking at maybe whole suits, putting them on, then you're going to be able to, you know, it's not just, presumably it's not just going to be something you just be able to take on and off um simply you've got to you will have to put it on in in a way to make sure it's connected you don't break it and things like that because if it's anything like me i'll probably stand on it and break it um and and maintenance how do you how do you maintain such a such a system is it you know given what it is Are you is, is it gonna need cleaning is it gonna need um you know how do you do that without uh breaking all the sensors and, and things like that so i think there's um them all them sort of elements of, of training that you have to think about but then Flipping that on its head is: will it become a vector for training itself? So there's a lot of work being going on in simulation and and all, and all that sort of stuff to provide training to to the military. Try, training now to you know, blue light, um, blue light services, first responders, things like that. Will this type of thing be able to give um, a level of training there um, for, for more immersive um, simulation training? So one of the other things that popped into my my mind when we were talking about health earlier was actually we know that remote surgery has been a thing in healthcare. So where surgeons who necessarily can't get um, anywhere can do this remote surgery. That combined with this idea of tele-existence, the idea about you being able to basically inhabit another body, a robot body to do what you want to do. Then that's going to become a big thing here for like remote surgery and take that to the next level. Are you going to be able to use this type of sensor technology to give you an even better feel experience for doing that sort of remote operation, be it surgery, be it in another um, safety critical domain? Could be the nuclear industry, for example, and things like that. So I think there's a lot there actually around training. When you look at it both sides of the coin, that I think is going to be quite um, could be quite uh, quite a real game changer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I hear you. Uh, for for VR in general, um, what what I, I'm just asking, Barry. I'm just asking the questions here. What sort of professions uh, need to use their mouth on a daily basis that
2: they might need to do remotely? I'm just asking questions. I, yeah, yeah, no, I, I see, I see where you're coming from, and and just trying to be musicians. Oh. Oh, there you uh, go! You know, Thank, you. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <I> <laughs> you.
1: You saved the show. Look, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. There are some instances in which um, using this as a training tool for things like being a musician would be really valuable, especially when you don't maybe have uh, you know the in- instrument in front of you. You could imagine uh, what that might feel like on your lips and your tongue as you're trying to play something like yep. a saxophone. Right and and um, obviously it'd be easier if you had something physical in front of you to use, but that's probably the next best thing, especially as you're trying to use your mouth to make these sounds. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that's a great application, and you really saved that question.
2: Thank you, Thanks. Barry. I'm really glad you you picked <laughs> up on what I was asking there. <laughs> um, oh, and, and another one: first aid training. There you go. C- yeah, CPR. CPR. Yeah. See, so we, we don't have to live in the gutter all the time. No, we
1: don't. That's not where this show lives <laughs> most of the time. So okay, we talked about training. Let's talk a little bit about um kind of the human factor side of this, right? I want to talk I want to jump straight into SP, uh sensation perception, because I think there's something really unique about the lips that uh sort of exists on the rest of the body, but maybe uh I'm talking about the sensation. Uh, and and sort of distance between the receptors on the lips in the body. If you think about the right, we're looking at like maybe two uh, millimeters between receptors. I think that's I'm reading that correctly. Anyway, the uh, there's a chart here. But if you think about the distance between two receptors on any part of your body, the lips are an erogenous zone, which means they are uh, you know very close together. There's a lot of sensation. You can tell. Whether your finger is here versus here, and I'm just moving my finger along my lips, very, very, um, not not a far distance between the two points, <laughs> and you can tell those right, and those are the same thing that you feel on your fingertips, right? If you were to take something and touch the tip of your fingertip, there's a very high resolution of of touch there, and so when you're starting to develop these systems, you need to be able to take in those those resolutions of your uh, of your sensory neurons um to sort of emulate some of these things right it needs to be a very high resolution higher resolution than other things on your body like your back you're then you know you can feel two points on your back the distance between those points can be really big actually like 6 inches before you think about sort of um them as two different points on your back, right? You put two fingers on your back, move them about six inches apart and you'd still feel them as one point. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at there. So there's a lot of sensation perception going on here. Um, what are some of the other
2: human factors, key so, takeaways there? So for me, one of the biggest hitters is going to be the um, anthropomorph- anthropometric fit of you know the the shape the fit of this you know whatever it is that you're using so if we go into that element of we're looking more of the the suit and things like that what that sort of but even just with the application we're talking about just on on the face how is it you know is it adding that extra weight is it going how do you to size it for different people how do you make sure that you know one of the big things that's coming out at the moment with a, a lot of research uh which i i think Possibly a lot of us have been quite guilty of um, not truly realizing that a lot of the anthropometric data is all based on, uh, is all 19% based on males. And there's not very much female anthropometric data in the, da- in the data that we're using as standards um, for, for build. And that needs change. And if, if these, this type of application is going to work, we need to really get on with um, developing better um, anthropometric tables. Uh, for for this type this type of um, this type of thing, so it's the VR itself doesn't have you know it's it's virtual reality. You can be whatever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do. But the physical kit that you're going to be wearing really needs to fit well. It needs to um, not only be fit with who you are now, but as we spoke about earlier, you know people age, people their body changes and things like that. So there's going to be a, a whole bunch of stuff around the the actual fit of the physical equipment that I think it's going to have to be robust. It's going to have to be well calibrated and it's going to have to, it's going to have to fit. Um, I think there's, you know, I think there's probably a lot of other stuff we could get into with the engineering side of things, but do you think there's any sort of system safety and, and health things that we should be uh, considering with this?
1: Yeah, I think sort of the, uh, the big thing for me is at first glance right there's it's like what what do we have to consider there there's sort of this um this device that pushes air against your mm-hmm. mouth what could possibly go wrong uh famous last words right because there's <laughs> there there could be a lot i think that we can consider from health um you have in here mental health and i do want to talk about that right and this goes alongside everything that we talked about with the society and cultural uh discussions that might need to happen around this technology being implemented. So with that, you know, there can be sort of this loneliness um, that people experience. And does this more immersive technology patch that? Does it make it better? Or does it make it worse? So that's something that we can think about, right? We can also think about sort of the, uh, the example of kissing your child goodnight. Does that make it worse? it might think it might feel like it's better, but does it make it worse because it's not the real thing? so there's a lot of other questions in terms of mental health that we have to think about, Barry, I'm curious on your take on on the safety and health uh perspective here
2: yeah, I think there's um i guess it's an extension of the um the mental health piece to a certain extent is we we sort of alluded to it earlier is is this actually providing a healthy relationship now I think there's an element of what is what does a healthy relationship look like? Um with an artificial intelligent um entity, a bot, a uh, an um an NPC, you know that sort of thing its it's it doesn't exist, but yet you're investing or you could be you could be investing a whole lot of um time, effort, feelings, love, whatever within a relationship that it doesn't exist. The, and then the, the application of this technology just just intensifies that because there is there is much less ability to uh, delineate between the two. But then the flip side of that is, does it matter? You know, actually, if you're getting a, um, you know, one of the things that we find destructive within people is not having loving relationships, not being, sorry, being alone rather than being in a, in a good relationship. Um, is this another way of, of people who maybe can't or for whatever reason don't get into um, good relationships this will provide one for them and actually make it a bit more meaningful and a bit more um bit more engaging um i think it'll be really interesting to see future research into that um and, and so if anybody's listening who wants a, a research topic they you go you can have that one for free um but then i think the the other bit of it that i'm quite interested in as well is um if we do take this further and we do the implementation of it in, you know, for like said like we talked about body suits and, and things like that. Um, how do we link them together? How do we um deal with the there's gonna be some really basic stuff around how if we've got if we're in these suits, how do we make sure we don't electrocute ourselves? If we've got if the these set these type of sensory things, if we to believe what we told, they'll become quite addictive. Um so you'll spend more time in the immersive world than in the real world because they just feel um so immersive. um so what about the basic things of remembering to do things um and what, you're not wanting to come out and and do real world activity so yeah, and I think so I think I think there is there's a lot there to play on, but it's um I don't necessarily want to be um too down on on this thing because. <laughs> I think, you know, this is clearly a massive step forward. And a lot of the things I think we perceive as as issues that we normally bring up in maybe a safety and health piece, I think a lot of it will be at the forefront of the people who are developing developing it. Um, But it's, yeah, I think there's still uh, still a long way to go. You'd hope. You know, we did talk a lot about those physical
1: sort of, issues mm. uh in in that metaverse episode again like i'm gonna plug that episode it was, a, it was such a good episode for us to talk about in relation to this i do have sort of one loose round uh as we're kind of wrapping up this story here you know we've been skirting around the applications that i think all of us go to straight away barry saved the day with the music example but i do want to bring up a couple of other examples that were sort of illustrated in this video that the um the researchers shown. And this is Future Interfaces group on YouTube. You can go watch the video yourself. But just for everyone's awareness, there are other experiences that this might be practical. And this really comes down to sort of that immersive storytelling that we were talking about. So whether it's gaming or sort of these um, passive environments in which things are happening to you, there's other sensations that you can emulate on your lips that are you know, less scandalous. So let's talk about them, right? Like things like rain, so if you're you know, walking through an environment and there's rain, you might be able to feel some of those on your lips as you look up, right? Or feel something in your mouth like raindrops coming down from the sky. There's also the act of smoking, putting an object in your mouth and um, sort of inhaling uh, toxic chemicals and then blowing that out of your mouth. You can do that too, right? Spider webs. If you're walking through a spooky, you might feel a spider. Face. Again, this thing is mounted right below the uh, the, yep. the headset, and so it can probably target not just your lips, but the rest of your face too, which also has a very high sensitivity when we bring that back to sensation perception. There's other things like shrapnel. So if you're in like a combat zone in a war game, or if you are you know breaking boxes is the example that they have, but you might be able to feel something hit your face as you're going through an environment with lots of debris. There's also tooth brushing, so you can brush your teeth, uh, you can sort of emulate that sensation, and then there's also wind, right? So you might be able to feel the wind on your face through this device that's mounted to the bottom, right? So you're not getting anything from your nose up, I guess, but that might be enough to sort of give that sensation of being on a windy terrace or something along those lines, right? So there are other applications, we've been skirting around the, the scandalous ones, Barry, any other loose rounds for you before we wrap this
2: up? Only one. I don't want to be doing the spider webs one. Um, I don't like spiders, so that that wouldn't work for me. No, I think it's um, it is a really interesting technology. I really like what the idea of what they've done with it. I think it's um, it's it's going to set um, an interesting starting point for where we go where we go next with it. I think the idea of of um, the 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 next sensors that um that they build will be um the true measure of where the growth of it's going to be but yeah good work well done well done
1: thank you to our patrons this week and everyone on twitter who thought it was a great idea for us to talk about this and thank you to our friends over at gizmodo for a new story again this week if you want to follow along we do post links to the original articles on our weekly roundups on our blog you can also join us on our discord for more discussion on these stories Where we don't necessarily have to keep a PG. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this.
0: Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast and to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you. And remember, it depends.
1: Yes, huge thank you. As always to our patrons, we especially want to thank our Human Factors Cast, our honorary Human Factors Cast staff, patrons, Michelle Tripp, patrons like you keep the show running. Seriously, you keep the lights on for us. And uh, that extends to our digital media lab as well. We have one of those. I haven't mentioned that on the show tonight. Anyway, we have one of those. It keeps the light on over there too. Uh, I do want to bring up. Patreon has some other cool stuff that you might not know about. If you are not one of our human factors cast crew over there, uh, we have full audio versions of every show. So Barry and I sit down every Thursday night for two, was it two hours? Yeah. 30 minutes before 30 minutes after. And all that is packaged up as a separate podcast for all of our patrons. Uh, so if you're unable to watch the live shows, we, do the audio version for our patrons. There's also weekly Q and A's. This is a, this is a great opportunity to ask us questions directly uh, and get some targeted feedback, especially it kind of uh, elevates in the line above our discord. We kind of look at that first and say, okay, who, where's, you know, who's coming here? What's, what's being said. There's also early access to the show. Uh, We do post our show just a couple hours early over there. It's not, you know too much of early access but if you're looking for something thursday night you might get it at like 6 p.m pacific instead of 9 p.m pacific so that's another consideration there's also bonus content over there so things like our uh ehf coverage that's coming out next week our patrons will get uh all that stuff including the full interviews with all the people who called in and talked to barry um, they'll get all those as one separate piece. So there's plenty of reasons to become a patron. Uh, first and foremost, you do help the show, and if that's your goal, then awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, if if you want something in return, we have all this stuff for you too. Consider it. Anyway, I think it's time we get into this next part of the show. We like to call. It came from. It came from. That is right. This is the part of the show called it came from and this is where we look all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about if you find these answers useful no matter where you're at watching listening give us a like or whatever the thing heart i don't know whatever it is it'll help other people find this stuff uh and it's all it's all word of mouth anyway so let's talk about three tonight we got the first one here lucrative fields in ux research i'm gonna go ahead and expand on this and say human factors uh this is by user uh Philosophical razor on the UX research subreddit. They go on to write, "Hi, I'm currently in the government consulting sector. Oh, good luck. Uh, While while the projects are varied and interesting, I am looking ahead for a role where the money is a little bit better. Are banks or financial institutions the best paying options, or should I be looking at tech? Appreciate any advice, Barry. What are some of the sectors with high yield salaries, and what other factors should folks maybe consider
2: when they're Looking at breaking into a new sector, wow! Um, if somebody could tell me which sectors have them, I, I'm I'm quite keen to learn. Um, I don't know if is HF and UX the the place to be going for for high salaries. Um, I I'm not entirely sure to be honest. I mean, I think obviously there there is that the whole tech piece, the the, the social tech in particular um, is is very much on the up, um, and that mobile element um it's kind of there particularly from from the ux piece um but yeah i've got to admit with this when it when it came up I've, i'm struggling to think of of areas where you go you know where you've got to go and um make truly big books um you know it's we are a niche um discipline that that in safety critical industries we do get used uh very well um but even then it's still a struggle, I think. Um, yeah. So I've got to, I'm, I'm going to tap out. I'm not entirely, I don't think I can give a, a, a satisfactory answer. What about you, Nick? Do, do you have more of an insight to me the where, where would you go for the big bucks?
1: American-based big tech companies. I mean, like that is where you're going to find the most competitive offers, mainly because they have the money to spend. Um, that being said, there's some other considerations that I think, you know, you need to make, right? Especially at those big tech companies, are they providing you a good work-life balance? Is it something that you're going to be able to maintain long-term? Um, what, what kind of other benefits do they offer? You know, a lot of them have sort of a, a relatively high base salary and then great benefits on top of that and great stock options on top of that. So you're not only looking at, you know, sort of a, a, a base number, but you're looking at... Um, if you look at that whole package it's it's quite um, lucrative mm-hmm. so so that's I think if you are looking just for money, there you go but again like you need to kind of consider where you're going to enjoy working if you enjoy working on these varied projects if you don't have a problem with being closer to the tip of the spear um, you know uh, that's that might be for you especially if you're maintaining a good, Work-life balance. That's that's my two cents. It may not be the best advice, but if you're looking for uh, lucrative options, go with the Fang or Mang or whatever they're calling themselves now. Uh, now that they're Meta and Netflix is out, right? Is it is it Mag? Maga? I hope not, because you've written the acronyms down. I don't actually know what they mean. So so Fang uh, or Mang. That's like it used to be Facebook, Apple, uh. I forget what the other A is. Netflix and Google. Uh um, right. Yeah. And uh, now that Facebook has changed their name to Meta, F is now an M. And then the Netflix is now out, I think. And I'm not why, sure. I, I don't why, keep up with why is, it. Why is Netflix out? Oh,
2: have you seen their stock lately? <laughs> no. Ooh. It's, uh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that, they, that, they'd, uh, that, that, that they'd banged out.
1: Yeah. So I think it's, so I'm just Googling it right now. I think it's Mama, M A M A A. So you have uh, Meta, let's see here. Meta, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon is the other A, uh, and Alphabet, right? So Google is no longer Google, it's Alphabet. So you have Mama with two A's. There you go. Mama companies. Everybody's a school there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next one up here is from Shayita. Shayita. On the UX research subreddit, they write, "What does your ideal work environment look like?" Uh that's it. Barry, uh, what is your what is your ideal work environment work like uh, look like?
2: Well, for me, it's so if you look at the environment in the whole, I mean, such as like what my desk is now. I like screens. I like big screens, so you not um you don't feel claustrophobic in in your workspace um and what you're trying to do. I like multiple screens so you can hand things off to different screen, different bits and have one for monitoring, have one for your active workspace, things like that. But taking it outside of just what I want on my desk, because it's going to have buttons and it's going to have gadgets, um, you to have access to people. Now that could be virtually, but it, ideally my ideal sort of office plan, I don't like big open plan offices, uh, but I don't like single offices either. So I like small open plan offices. So maybe three, four, five to a room um with like sort of small teams based type thing. Um and and lots of them, but also having um other places to break out to. So you can go so there's like conference rooms, you can go and do um uh, go and do things like that. Um when you then look at some other um bigger things then I you know in my ideal work environment I want time and I want the budget and I want resources to be able to do the job properly and not having to Scrimp and skimp and save and and try and do that. I mean, that's always a um, a bit of a massive nice to have. Um, oh you decided to come back now? Okay, I, th- I thought I told <laughs> you that. Um, so yeah, I like to have the um, the time budget resources. The other thing I think works for me and is something I do try and do with my team is to have ongoing internal projects. So no matter how busy you are trying to do the external stuff, the day job, doing a di- having a different project. Um, um, alongside what you're doing is I think is really useful because it allows you to dip into something else. It allows you to do something and it, it might be pro bono work. It might be something along that. It almost doesn't matter what it is, but or having something that is not purely profit driven um, at that time to, you know, the uh, a change is as good as a rest. So allowing you to go to, to have something going on that you can go and dip into at any time. So, yeah, I think that's Screens and people and an appropriate size rooms works. Oh whiteboards. I didn't put whiteboards in there. Whiteboards everywhere. You have to have whiteboards everywhere. With working white pens. Uh with with whiteboard <laughs> pens. And not, not the ones before. that are kind of
1: half dried out. Are you can yeah. okay. Yeah,
2: that's all. and, and the, the, the squirty stuff that means you can clean your board properly because invariably when you go back to it, you can never get everything off properly.
1: Right. And uh, the yeah. proper, proper wiping materials too, right? You need the like either a rag or something, yes. right? Not the not the like chalky Block, yeah, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Uh, for me, um, it's it's very different from yours. Actually, I really do like the remote position, and I really do enjoy traveling to go to user events. And it really does sort of uh limit in terms of um what domains I'm able to work in. I I find that I can get a lot of my answers through you know quick calls with people and. Yeah. That's probably just the domain I'm working in, and that's fine for that. But in some, you'll need to go do more regular contextual inquiries or something like that, actually them in person. Um, I can do most things from home. I really do appreciate the flexibility of having a remote position. That's what works for me. And I really love this question because you and I differ so greatly on this, but there's no right or wrong answer to this. Everyone works differently. And so... um, from my perspective, in terms of a physical space, I like three monitors. I like one big one right in the middle and then two kind of offshoots uh, that have various information on them that I might need to reference my primary workspace, right? So like, if I have a Zoom meeting up, it's over here. If, or sorry, it's over here. Uh, All my communication is on this one, right? And all my sharing is over here. So if I'm sharing my screen, I'm looking right here because it doesn't have any of my workspace up. It's not sloppy, it's, you know, made for sharing. Uh, And so, The primary workspace being so big too, I can split the screen and look at two different things. Like I'm looking at you over here, and I'm looking at the notes over here. I'm looking Uh at the audience right here, right in the right in the lens. You see that? Looking at you. Yeah. Uh. So so it really varies. It it differs for me, right? And and ideally, um, you know, in in this space, I share this space with both my personal stuff and my workspace stuff. And so for that, I need a you know dock that I can change modes with by one USB C. I plug out of my work and plug into my personal and it switches modes in my head for me when I'm, you know, able to unplug my personal and put in my work, it's such a hassle to get back into, I mean, it's not, it's a hassle by unplugging and replugging it back in, but it's a hassle to go back and forth. And so I tend to stay in one mode versus the other. The other thing is that I I would really like to prefer uh, an environment um, confined, uh dark, almost kind of like a, a storage closet. I don't know if, if maybe this environment kind of reminds you of anything, uh, mm-hmm. like where I'm currently at. I built it because of that. I, I liked being confined. I don't like a lot of distractions, ADHD. Doesn't work for me when I have outside distractions creeping in, looking at things. Um, and so that's the physical space, right? When you think about digital, um, you know, lots of organized folders. Uh, and, and making sure that that structure is uh, mirrored across everything that you're using, right? So things like uh, transcription software, um, document storage, information repositories, these types of things, making sure that everything kind of matches and plenty of l- redundant links to each of those things. So that way, if you need to find your way, you can. That's me. All right. I think we got one more. Um, this last one's here, applying to UX research jobs at Meta. Question about my dissertation topic. This is by blues Bluesmaker on the UX research subreddit. This one's a really interesting one. I'm glad you pulled it, Barry. Uh, I'm soon to be a PhD of sociology looking to get into UX research. From looking at the job market, it seems that Meta is the company that seeks many recent university goals. Because of this, I'll be applying there. However, because my dissertation topic is about QAnon conspiracy theory on Twitter, I wonder if hiring managers at a social media company be concerned that I'm coming from a pr- perspective That's highly critical of their industry. Do you think that there's any reason for concern on my part? If so, is it something that can be addressed by how I describe and talk about my dissertation research? Be interested in any related thoughts people may have. Barry, do you have any advice for folks uh, who have conducted research maybe in the past that could conflict with a prospective employer's
2: business goals? So somebody who works in the defense industry and is an employer in the in the defense industry yeah i might i've come up across this a couple of times now um but my biggest piece of advice really is embrace it don't hide it um you did whatever you did and this isn't actually just for research either it's actually anything that's gone on in your um past i think to a certain extent um but in terms of this particular bit around the dissertation you obviously conducted that research for a reason um, it interested you um, and, and that type of thing and you've obviously learned a lot that would be helpful to the social media industry and uh, based on what it is that your the, that your research has found out So tell them tell them why your work was valuable tell them what you've learned and they could apply um, you know if they were to if they were to hire you um, because because the research you would get so yeah I mean you must have learned some really interesting things because I, I think the topic is fascinating um so tell them why it's valuable embrace it
1: yeah i'm a very i'm a very similar mind to you barry i think you know um just ensure that your rationale for wanting to work there is sound it sounds like they uh it sounds like this person is wanting to apply there because there's um availability and is it somewhere you want to work uh you know just make sure you know in your heart of hearts where you want to be but also you know they will likely ask about something like this if they see it on your uh cv resume whatever you submit right and i think the framing of your answer will be critical i think um like you said barry explaining what you learned um and and sort of embracing that but then i think there's there's obviously skill to doing an interview and i think the piece that i will offer in addition to what you said barry is how can you reframe it to help the company goals? I've learned all this stuff about QAnon, and therefore I think I can make changes to the company by doing XYZ because of this background that I have. That's that's my two cents on it. All right, let's just go ahead and get into this last part of the show. We call one more thing. It needs no introduction. Barry, what's your one more thing
2: this week? So I'm going to be a bit more um, with it this week, and I've already got one more thing this week. So... Our daughter starting her exams, um, so she's doing them a year early. But the after our um, elder daughter did their exams, um, this leads me to reflect again. You know, why do we pursue such an antiquated education system that we still? You know, we we have a uh, a bit where we get educated, then you go and do some. You know, then you go and go to work. And you do what you do all. I just don't feel now that actually the way that we deliver education in this modern society um, really fits the way um, the way that we live. And and so should I, I. Don't know. I think we should reform the entire lot. There was some really good talks uh, that that were, that were done a couple of years ago that shows that you know the the education system was was generated around um, basically Victorian um, Victorian needs. And we haven't really moved on from that yet. Society's moved on so much um, that I think we should burn it all down and start again. Sounds like Is a great, a... great post show topic, probably. <laughs> yeah, um, just makes makes me frustrated, as, as, I, not only as a parent but as an employer as well. Yeah. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll save that rant for for the post show. What, what What about you, Nick? What's your one more thing?
1: Uh, uh, next week, uh, I, we've alluded to it, or summer hiatus, all that stuff. I'm going to the wonderful world of Anaheim, California for a Star Wars celebration. It's a Star Wars convention. I'm going to get my nerd on. Um, and I, last time I went, it was a spiritual experience. It was like, I keep saying this, uh, I, in some way, shape, or form, but, um, it was when they said that, you know, the Chewy were home, uh, trailer for the force awakens came out and just everyone was like in tears and it was awesome and everyone was on stage Uh, I'm super excited about it Um, we have made the costume for our son and it is almost complete we're still putting on some last minute touches it's going to be a little bit tight on time but man I'm excited that's my one more thing and that's going to be it for today everyone let us know what you guys think of the news story this week If you like this episode enjoy some of the discussion on uh, simulating the feel of kisses I guess then uh, I'll invite you to go and listen to our episode on the metaverse where we talk a lot about uh, those uh, those other issues of being in VR for a long time. There's a you know, comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Discord community. Visit our official website. Sign up for our newsletter. Stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can do a couple things. One, leave a five-star review. You can do that right now. Uh, pause, whatever. just You can finish listening. Just go five-star review. That's fine. Two, tell your friends about us. That really helps us grow um, and helps us uh, sort of invade other people's lives. We love that. And then three, if you do have the financial means, we do offer a lot in Patreon, and we'd love to have you join us. Support the lab that way. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thanks for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about uh, other applications
2: for uh, VR? Kisses. (laughs) Uh, if you're going to talk about kisses, then there's other web, there's other people available for that. But if you want to go find me on Twitter, I'm at baz underscore K uh, and across all my socials. Um, but if you also want to hit, listen to the, uh, the interviews that we've been doing, then 1202 Human Factors Podcast is where you want to go, which is at 1202podcast.com.
1: As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on Discord and across social media at nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends.